640 Toronto presents Think Tank. The breaking stories you care about. Facts and opinions that get you through the day. Now, let's meet the guests. Let's do just that. It's a Wednesday, a Thursday morning, January 18th. Warmer than it was yesterday, but it's not terribly warm. Minus 7, minus 14, the wind chill. Oh, we're happy to be here because we're not in Saskatoon where it's minus 25 or Edmonton where it's minus 20 or even Quebec City. Beautiful Quebec City. Looks like Europe um, uh, where it's minus 16. We say uh, good morning to commentator Tasha Carradine. She joins us now. It's been a while. It's great to have you back. I always like uh, having you on. Thanks, Greg. Great to be here. Absolutely. And the same with uh, Stephanie Smythe, who joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Morning, Tasha. Hi. How about that cold snap? That's not my Is first that our topic. Uh, no, really? it's a, are you for or against uh, minus twenty wind chills? Yeah, that's the. <laughs> I'm pro Jamaica. Let's put it that way. I think yeah. that's the way to go. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I'm I'm looking up flights of places I'm not even going to go. I I could go with travel commercials. They just make me feel a little bit warmer, even if I'm not booking anything in the next uh, a couple months. Um, my dad once told me that he didn't get one of those fancy U.S. satellite dishes. You guys remember the we're all the same generation. You remember the big ones, huge ones, huge satellite dishes. Yep. You'd go to somebody's house in the country, and we didn't get one until I finished high school. And he said to me, son, you wouldn't have made it through high school if we'd had this satellite dish. So mm-hmm. I wanted to get you through first. But I think we're all seeing this now with cell phones. And last night, a TDSB meeting, a Toronto District School Board meeting, in which I think they're going to tighten the screws on their policy. I want you to listen to Trustee Rachel Chernos-Lynn, and then we'll discuss. So what we have right now at the TDSB is language in our code of conduct that speaks to restrictions around cell phone use. Um, But we don't have a clear policy. We don't have a big blanket kind of document that really lays out our policies and our, our, our real belief system and creating a culture of how we use cell phones. So there's a lot of examples. Tasha, let's start with you. In Europe, uh, at, at some uh, less than progressive, I suppose we might say, states in the U.S., Florida's figured this out and they banned them. Alabama makes all their kids, uh, the school districts there, the three biggest ones. You put your phone in a pouch, you get it, you get it unlocked at 2.45 p.m., I think you got to go all the way on a policy like this. I want to know what your experience is, and I want to know what you think the boards across Ontario should do. So my daughter just started high school this year, and she said that their kids who are in class, who will just be on their phones, it's an electronic babysitter. I hate to say that. Um, you know, uh, keeping the attention of 30 kids in a classroom is not easy. If some of them are distracted, it actually makes it easier. I'm not blaming teachers. I'm just saying you do you do with what you have. And the problem is a lot of these kids are tuning out. It's also distracting them when they're, you know, thinking about the next class or they're talking to their friend or they're not using them for educational purposes. Sometimes they are, but the point is you can do that on a computer. You do not have to have a cell phone. A cell phone is different. A cell phone is where you, you've got you've got your Snapchat, you've got Tumblr, you've got like your IG open, you've got TikTok, like it's not the same. So I say, yes, I say ban them. Do exactly. Alabama's got it right. If they can get the kids to turn them in, why can't we? Yeah. Uh, and Steph, I, I'm trying to find a box that gets checked where there's a benefit. I think it affects their physical health, their mental health, uh, their attention span. It does clearly affect their academic performances based on data. So what are we doing? What's taking us so long? <laughs> you know what? I remember being class and sending notes like you'd, you'd obviously in the in the dinosaur age but you'd send notes to you know friends in class just pass them if you got caught you'd get in trouble why because you're talking to your classmate you're distracting the class or whatever 
the same principle. It's nothing but a distraction tool to Tasha's point. Very different than having a laptop open, taking notes and a quick Google or whatever. But for the most part, look, we know these are vital tools, not saying that, but in the classroom setting, I don't see as long as there is that method of communication from parent to child, you know, when they get out of class or if there's an emergency, it's like get rid of them for a short period of time and just focus on the task at hand. Yeah. And Steph, let's follow that up. I think what we'd all agree on is you better give um, administrators and you better give teachers some teeth because one of the big issues that you always hear from parents right now is discipline in the classroom. So if students aren't getting suspended for fights, vandalism, bullying, smoking, I mean, are we really going to be sending kids home because they uh, cracked their phone open? You better. Be, I think you have to do something like a pouch like these U.S. states are doing it like at a at a big stand up comedian uh, comedy concert. They put your phone in a pouch. You get to keep it and you can't unlock it until you leave the show. Yeah, they do that at concerts now, too. Yeah. It's the same principle and kids hand over their I'm sure they do it at Taylor Swift or maybe not or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but it happens all the time. So it's like it's just a matter of of how we operate now in terms of social media in many cases. And so this is just another one. What, because if we don't do this, we're going to set a new normal low in terms of expectations for achievement in class. Right. Because you're not going to pay attention. Students aren't going to pay attention as well. They're not going to learn as well. They're not going to mm. perform as well, et cetera. Tasha, every television story I saw to wrap this topic um, has a parent on it's almost like a, a set you know a, almost like a like a prerequisite requirement to talk to a parent and go well i want my little kid to have it because how will i get a hold of them in case of an emergency and i'm like we're part of the problem sometimes as parents we really are we well, en- we parents, enable this stuff parents have got to realize i mean I, I i don't understand a parent who gives a smartphone to a child under the age i mean, i want to hold out till 16 she got it at 14 because she's going to high school yeah. and yes okay but before that she had a dumb phone yeah, a phone she could call me on when she needed to, but it had nothing. It was just a phone on a flip phone. That's what you get a child. You do, they do not need to be connected 24-7 to the Internet. They can be connected to you with that. So why would you pay for a smart – I mean, you're throwing money. That's a, a tool that's going to destroy your child's posture too. That's another thing. They're bent over their phones. Mm-hmm. Laptop is different. Like, there's so many things that are negative to a developing body and brain from a phone, a self, a, a, a smartphone. I, don't, I honestly don't get it. It's a mystery to me, but maybe I'm just a dinosaur. Do you, you know, think, well, <laughs> Tasha, do you, do you, do you worry? I mean, we almost politicize everything. Do you think we could come to some kind of uniformity? I, I get it. It's the NDP's job to well, hammer the conservative. Like it's a conservative's job to hammer the liberals. I got to think there's got to be some uniformity here on an issue like this. We don't let kids drive till they're 16. Why? Because they're not ready for it. And physically, they may not be ready. Mentally, we, what's the difference? You're letting them drive all over the Internet with, with a phone. It's actually more dangerous in many ways, I think, than getting almost behind the wheel of a car in the sense of to their, to their mental development and other things. Why don't we just set a rule? Like, we could set a social rule. I mean, parents may not respect it. But I think we, in, in schools, yes, set the rule. All right, let's go to this um, story. And, and Steph, I know you were in uh, over the Christmas holidays and we were both talking about this story on your show, on on my show, uh, Justin Trudeau's re- family trip to Jamaica. I want to play you Justin Trudeau's explanation of it in the House of Commons and naturally the um, a rather snide parry back from the opposition leader, Pierre mm-hmm. Polyev, although I, I think it's a couple pretty good lines here. Let's listen to both. 
I went away with my family and my kids uh, with, to stay with friends that we have known for decades in a place that I have stayed at many times over the past decades since I was one year old, Mr. Speaker. But of course, in all these situations, we work with the Ethics Commissioner to ensure uh, that all the rules are followed, and that happened in this case. Nobody is raising qualms with the Prime Minister having a vacation. I know it's his favorite thing to do. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had a vacation at the same time. It, it was a Sunwing package, and I did stay five hours waiting at the airport. But that being said, I paid for it myself. I paid for it myself. All right, not bad, Tasha. Good spot for Sunwing. Uh, that the op- that's the official airline of the opposition leader. And, uh, you know, he's a man of the people. He has to wait five hours when his f- winter flight is delayed, just like the rest of us. Is this as much of a story as the Conservatives have made it? And what kind of legs does it have over the next few weeks as it gets in front of the ethics commissioner? Well, the problem with the story is people can relate to it, right? Um, you can understand vacation. It's it's not it's not a strange thing. So people look at this and go, Justin Trudeau taking a vacation with rich, super rich. We're talking really super rich family friends. Mm-hmm. He's known since the age of one. The, the the subtext there isn't vacation. It is though that the vacation is such a vacation none of us will ever be able to enjoy because we don't know those people. He's an elitist. That's the opposition. That's why they're using this. That's why they're pushing this narrative because it feeds into the larger narrative that he's an elitist. That's why it's that's why it's got life. Um, of course, to give the documentation, it was a luxury $9,300 per night villa at the Prospect Estate and Villas Resort owned by Trudeau family friend Peter Green. He was there nine days. Uh, the total would have cost $84,000 for the nine-day stay. And uh, uh, Stephanie Smythe, I know you're a world traveler, but eighty-four grand over nine days is just too rich for your blood. I, I, you're getting shivers just thinking about getting that credit card bill, aren't you? I, I'm shivers of jealousy, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not resentment. It, here's the cash is right. The comms are bad on it. And I get why there's legs with the opposition. But it, it's just what do we want for our elected officials? Do we want them to be vacationing at a motel, you know, on the Trans Canada somewhere? Like, is there nothing that our prime minister or leaders can do that's a little bit, you know, in, in the U.S., they celebrate Air Force One. They celebrate Camp David. They celebrate mm-hmm. Martha's Vineyard where the president goes. Like, why do we always have to, to bring it down to, you know, the very lowest common denominator for what our elected officials are able to do and enjoy their time? And if it just so happens that a prime minister has connections that enables him to stay there and it, it meets all the ethics guidelines, you know, uh, who cares? Let them live their life. Yeah, it's sad. Not everybody can do that. But honestly, it's just it's just being created. This crisis is crisis. It is. A, but you, know, go ahead, Tasha, yeah. you just made the point. You just made it. You said Martha's Vineyard. Um, the, uh, President Obama went to Hawaii. Those are American destinations. If he had gone to Whistler, even if he had gone to some fancy you know, mm. uh, package, I think if he'd stayed in Canada, it would be very different. That's oh, not all people too. can go to Whistler, though. Not everybody can afford Whistler. We can't no, afford but it's still Canadian. Damn. He's creating <laughs> jobs here. He's, I, I don't know. I just think oh, it's my harder God. to spin. I think, I think, you know what? If I was in the PMO, yeah. I'd just be smart about it. Why aren't they smart? Why? I don't know. Yeah, and... and- but, but, you know what? So they have to disclose, though. So what is he supposed to do? Vacation where? It's He's never, no prime ministers, and I, I can't wait to watch if Polyev ever makes, you know, becomes prime minister of this country, where he decides to vacation. I'll, I'll tell you, he won't be on Sunwing. Again. He'll take Via Rail to Mount St. No. Louis Moonstone for a ski no. vacation. And you know it. You know you know it. He'll, he'll be at Dagmar, where I am in Durham Region, in uh, Uxbridge. Dagmar. Yes! <laughs> you Look can... at, I'll, I'll, I cross-country through Don Valley Golf Course, you know. <laughs>
Um, yes, you can tube there. I mean, look, we see how active Olivia Chow is, right? She's paddling at Ontario Place. I mean, she's biking in the bike lanes. So far, we haven't seen her take a, a tropical vacation. <laughs> it comes to the idea of money, too, and I think this is a really interesting one. And the data point that jumped out at me, Steph, for this is regarding Ontario MPPs. They haven't had a raise since 2008. It might surprise some that a Toronto City Councilor makes about 25 grand more than an Ontario MPP does. And the 116550, the base pay for an MPP is the equivalent today with inflation of $83,400 in 2008 dollars according to the Bank of Canada. Steph, can I make the case that Ontario MPPs from all the parties are underpaid compared to other politicians. We won't get the best people if we don't pay them more. Well, you can see they are. Like, it's just, and again, like going back to Trudeau, going back to, you know, anything and other topics that we might be discussing today, anything, why why would anybody bother? You know, there's no pay there. It's thankless now. It's not going to attract, it used to be a position of honor to be an elected official, right? And now it's just like, it's all about, you know, from Dalton McGinty cutting salaries way back when, you know, and this continues. It's like, there's no, what is the standard you want to uphold and, and aspire to, right? And if we can't find a way to decently pay elected officials whose jobs are, you know, in many ways, 24-7, I don't know. We're not going to attract anybody to, to government. Yeah. What do you think, Tasha? I mean, I don't know what the number should be, but they're clearly underpaid compared to their federal and now municipal counterparts. Well, the funny thing is, yeah, it, it's, especially if you're living in Toronto, if you're living on one income in Toronto, you know, and you're like, uh, if you've got kids, if you're a single parent, um, speaking for experience, I could never, I could never do that. I could never run for office and live on that. Currently in Toronto, I'd have to move. So you think about it. Sure, there are people who say, well, okay, it's not an indecent amount of money, but in the circumstance, it will not get you very far. So how do you how do you balance that out? I think, yes, for sure, they should be paid more. It's different from the vacation situation. This is for Ash, this is for work. Um, And they do have to work very long hours. It is a thankless job. So, uh, yes, I think they should. I should revise it upward. I don't know what the exact figure should be, but the fact that counselors are making more money tells you a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know what the number is either, because you got to entice people sometimes. Steph, you just worked on a mayoral campaign. Tasha, you know it inside and out. Uh, You were working for Jean Charest last summer. You got to entice people either to jump back into politics Mm -hmm. or to get into it in the first place. And they're not going to leave a quarter million dollar job with a corner office and a ton more vacation time. To take a pay cut. I know we think a lot of these people, like people make the point, Doug Ford, independently wealthy. There's some other MP. Rod Phillips was a guy like that, an MPP who's got all the money on the planet, doesn't need to worry about the salary. But that's not the usual case. I think those are exceptions to the norm, Tasha. Well, that's what you end up. But this is the thing. You end up being yeah. people who are able to do this are only people who don't literally don't need the money, have exactly supports, whatever, or in some cases, I remember the Bloc Quebecois in Quebec when people first ran for them way back when. Kids straight out of university, kids who never had it, this mm-hmm. is the best paying job they will ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't living in downtown Toronto, of course, but still, it, it, it attracts, you know, if that's the best paid job you ever had, maybe that's also the level of experience is not as high as someone, you know, mm-hmm. to Stephanie's point, who's giving up the corner office. So you don't end up with the quality people that you could get otherwise. 
Um, we've got Tasha Carrot and Stephanie Smythe. Great to have them both in this morning on Think Tank. We've got several minutes left. Um, let's go back to the TTC, and we're seeing the same stories, Steph, that uh, would have been on television, on the radio, and they're now in the newspaper. It's so cold that stations are being used as a shelter system. Stuart Green, you and I know, the TTC spokesperson, says they're getting 70 to 80 people per day they're finding in the subways. I don't blame the people. There just aren't that many more warming centers compared to last year. There's other U.S. cities I was looking at last night that find a way to open up plenty of gyms. I don't think they should be in school gyms, but you could get beds set up 10 p.m. to 8 a.m., I think, in most basketball gyms at rec centers. So why don't we? Sometimes it doesn't feel like Toronto's doing enough. And that's all. I, I know everyone can complain about everything. I actually think they have a point going. There must be places in a massive city to put more than two, three hundred people. Well, and there are amazing churches as well that already do out of the cold programs. Like, can they not be expanded? Right. So from churches to rec centers, uh, you know, there are other opportunities. I'm not aware of what the you know insurance liabilities are, mm-hmm. all these kinds of things that have to be considered when you open up spaces for for these people to to find shelter. But you know the bottom line is this is still an issue. It's not happening fast enough. I mean, I think they've you know gotten they've lowered the threshold for opening these shelters, which is another thing, which is great. You know, for people to find you know from it used to be what minus fifteen, I think now it's minus five. So maybe more people will go to it. But either way. Whatever is decided, it has to be accessible for these people. So there can't be barriers to get there. So I don't understand exactly why mm. it isn't a simpler situation to you know, discuss with more churches in the city about about opening up or rec centers, because it seems obvious, doesn't it? Yeah, Tasha, I think I think Steph makes a great point that we're just uh, maybe we're just not being creative enough with options. And um, given how much um, CRAP John Tory took last year for the idea there aren't enough warming centers, I'm not saying Olivia Chow's skating on this one but for somebody that said our city's going to be more compassionate and warm and take you in we're really not taking that many more people in and again it's not the middle of june these aren't these are emergency like stay outside you die or or you're gonna have to go to the emergency room for frostbite it's not the middle of june right now no it isn't um the challenge of course is uh, not just opening a center but you're gonna have to have people to staff it you're gonna have to have people to clean up you have security Often people don't go to shelters. One of the the main reasons that they choose not to go to a shelter is that they've had a bad experience in a shelter with violence or other things, and they don't want to be there. Um, So you have to create an environment that is safe, to Stephanie's point, insurance, all these things. But um, you also have to create it where people are. So where are they? Where are most of the people congregating in the subway? Uh, I, you know, that that is a rec center even a pos- is near? Is it is it accessible? Would they even go there? Are there rec centers downtown, for example? There's the armory. That's all yeah. we talked about. And then it's always not done, right? Um, so you have to, I mean, there's a lot that goes into this, but someone has to think about it. Because, yes, people should not be sleeping in the subway. Um, I watched this yesterday, um, and I, it, it circles back to sort of the motivation to get into politics. But this is somebody that uh, that I really enjoy reading her work. Journalist Sabrina Maddow left the National Post. She announced she's running for a seat in the House of Commons in Richmond Hill. And Tash, I'll start with you because uh, th- this game is very familiar to you and to Steph and I. Liberal MPs, not even in her writing, went in on her on day one. She wrote this about gun control. She wrote this about um, uh, the carbon tax. Like conservatives do this sometimes too, but the case is made that I think this does make it less likely for anybody, let alone women, to go into politics. Is there anything to that? It's day one. Let her have her two-minute video, and when you start an actual campaign 15 months from now, dig in. Tell people why she they shouldn't vote for her. I thought it was a lot of attacks for no reason. 
They're giving her a lot of play. Hey, like giving her, you know what? There's some saying good. There's no such thing as bad publicity. In this case, I think they're the ones who look bad and her name is getting out there. And quite frankly, um, the other thing I'll say is, is, you know, there, if it's on, if this is happening on Twitter, it's a closed ecosystem. I'm realizing this yeah. more. The people who talk to each other, the average voter is like, who? Uh, they're mm-hmm. not. So they can snap at each other and be snarky all they want. Um, good luck to her is all I say. I think she's great. So good. <laughs> Yeah, there's a liberal MP, uh, Steph Pam Damoff, who's an MP in Oakville, North Burlington, and she wrote, a woman vying to run for CPC doesn't understand the impact firearms play in femicide. She thinks our policies are useless and is trying to gaslight Canadians. I'll stand behind our efforts on gun control any day over Pierre Polyev's reckless policies. Again, there's probably a time and place for that discussion. Do you think that's kind of dirty pool on day one? I think it's just politics. Look, you know, mm-hmm. you signed up for it, and it's difficult, and, you know, it, it looks... Um, as uncomfortable as it is, but that is the world that we're looking at. And I think that, you know, to Tasha's point about Twitter, you know, it is a closed ecosystem for sure. But this is, when you put your name forward, you know, again, it's what you have to expect. Anything and everything can be and will be said against you. And whether it's nice or not nice, it's just it's just the way the game is played. So game, you know, it's and it's not nice all the time. I congratulate her for stepping forward, right? It's nice to see that this is happening. There's somebody that is taking an interest in politics mm. and who has, you know, great experience writing about it. So happy for her and all of that. Mm. And it's not going to be an easy ride, male or female. All right. So and, there you go. And speaking of male or female, the next minute and a half, we'll break down a, uh, a gender stereotype. We're all about breaking barriers here on, uh, on Think Tank. A trial at the University of Illinois compared males and females and found females had more trouble with directions than men. But I've never seen a television show or a movie where the man isn't driving and the woman's like, aren't you going the wrong way? Why don't you stop for directions? What's the matter with you? Do you really want to divorce that badly? What do you, what's your, <laughs> Steph, what's your experience with this? I am the worst one for stopping. <laughs> I, I do not want to stop. Paul is very much in favor of let's pull over and make sure we're right here. So, you know what? I, uh, I'm the bad one here, you know? So, um, and basically I live on a North South grid, you know, East West grid. And if I'm out of that grid, I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, Tasha, I, I, sometimes I am, I, I have these blind spots, Hamilton. I don't, I've driven to Hamilton 50 times. I get there and my wife's like, you always get to Hamilton. You Like, I think we all have our blind spots when it comes to geography sometimes. Don't even GPS. I outsource my brain completely <laughs> to the GPS. I, I, and you know what? It actually makes you worse over time when you do that in terms of following yeah. directions. Your part atrophies. So um, I think I think men are gonna. It's, it's gonna happen that all of us are gonna become directionless because we're gonna outsource it. And when we don't have the GPS, we'll be like, where are we? Where are we? Tasha, wait yeah. till the, wait till the TDSB <laughs> takes your GPS away from you and says we we're gonna give you an actual roadmap from uh, 1986. Uh, pr- yeah. Pr- Say it's not like we're stand, we're in the in the car anymore with the roadmap. We've got ways on, right? So exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's a question of did you input ways wrong? <laughs> did you input the address wrong? Uh, which is a question I think the wife would that ask the happen. husband more than the other way around. I think again yeah. we're coming back to that. I got a blast. I loved having you guys on this morning. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. Have a great bye. day. Have a good day. Tasha Carrot and Stephanie Smythe. 